0: All right. Good evening, everybody. Wow, wow, wow. You guys had so many good questions. I need to get my microphone up here. And I'm glad to see so many people using the chat section. If you guys would, stay ready for the chat section because if I'm giving you an answer and you don't quite understand the way I'm answering it, or if you'd like more of an answer, you can feel free to let me know and I will do my very best uh, to get you the answers you need tonight. I am going to start us off with two songs. I have two songs I'd like for you to hear. This first one, I went with a song I know that all of you know. This is a kid's version, a cartoon type of thing, if you would, with Jesus Loves Me. So if you could, sing it as loud and with much as much energy as you can there in your homes. Moms and dads, if you can, help them out. The words are going to be on the screen. You guys, sing it. you all sang as loud as you could on the on that song this this next song i don't think you've heard it before uh it's it's sung it was written by a a comedian a christian comedian named tim hawkins who's very very funny and the name of this song is 50 ways to please your mother so moms i really hope you appreciate this next song Kids, I want you to listen to the song and then maybe later or even tomorrow, you can make your own list. See how many things you can come up with that, that would please your mother. Tim Hawkins, he gives you in this song almost 50 ways that you can do that. So I hope you enjoy 50 Ways to Please Your Mother.
1: It's all in your approach I said to them You are my children And I want to fill you in You wonder why your mama Grounded you again There must be 50 ways To please your mother Keep up the laundry now And put away your food Wouldn't hurt you If you lose the attitude Say yes ma'am, no ma'am her name isn't dude there must be 50 ways to please your mother 50 ways to please your mother don't talk back jack clean out the van stand put away the dish trish don't play in the street don't miss the bus gus try not to cuss russ wipe off the seat pete and life will be sweet Pick up your mess, Tess. Close screen, Jean. Don't get annoyed, Lloyd. Turn down the TV. Pick up your phone, John. Let her know when you're gonna be home. Don't roll your eyes, guys. And you'll see what I mean. You know, it grieves me, kids, to see you in such pain. I've known her many years now. So just let me explain Cause sometimes you talk and act Like you were born without a brain There must be 50 ways I found a system that can give you better life So you can live in harmony And put away the strife You know I learned the hard way Things you don't say to my wife There must be 50 ways to please your mother 50 ways to please your mother Go get a job, Bob Mow the lawn, Sean Don't burp in a face, Chase Just listen to me Covey, sneeze, please Don't use your sleeves, Steve Use your inside voice, Joyce And you'll be home free Don't talk back, Jack Clean out the van stand Pull up your pants, Chance Go play in the street Don't miss the bus, Gus Try not to cuss so much rest or Wipe off the sea, the life will be
0: I hope you enjoyed that song I would like to know from you kids do any of you have dads that dance the way that that Tim Hawkins did at the end there that dance is all goofy I know that I do sometimes and I even encourage Amy to dance along with me sometimes I try to get Christina to do it but she's I'm still struggling to get her to dance with me like that um I don't know if he gave us 50 different ways but I'd like for you kids to come up with your own list 50 Ways to Please Your Mother. And moms, since a lot of you are watching here, let me know if you enjoyed that song, if some of that stuff would be helpful. Maybe uh, maybe that's worth tuning in for just there to remind your kids of different ways they can please their mother. All right, this is Bible Baptist Kids Bible Q&A. And I asked you guys to send me questions. And man, you did not disappoint. I got a long list of questions. I'm gonna jump right into them. I'm going to pray real quick and ask God to help me because you guys have asked some excellent questions. So, Father, please help us tonight. We're going to go deep, deep into these questions. I pray you'd show us the right Bible verses to look at. Please help me to explain these things and help each person listening. All the kids, moms, and dads, Lord, help us to understand the answers to these questions from the Bible. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, here we go. We're going to try to cover all of these, and I'm going to do my best to answer fully, but please know that there are some of these questions I could spend 30 minutes answering just one of the questions. A lot of the questions are like that. So, I'm going to try to answer completely but not take too much time. So, the first one, how do dinosaurs fit into creation? How do dinosaurs fit into creation. I can see over here, Francois, you don't dance like that. Come on, Francois, you got to try, man. Try the Tim Hawkins dance. It's all kinds of fun. All right, dinosaurs. Uh, Let me show you this verse here in Genesis chapter one. I'm going to show you the day on which dinosaurs were created. All right, Genesis one and verse number 24. Genesis 124. I'm going to put it right there. And God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Later that day, God made man out of the ground as well. But dinosaurs were created on day six. Uh, along with, the, like I said, just before manned, uh, Adam was made. Now, dinosaurs, right? People, a lot of times they ask about this because they wonder how did the dinosaurs get into the ark and things like that. And uh, so let me try to answer the question that, the way that I usually get it. And whoever asked it, please let me know if, if you want me to add on to this um, answer. But if you take a lizard, a lot of, and I haven't studied all lizards, but as best I can, as, from what I have studied, if you take a lizard, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. As long as it's alive, it keeps growing. So one of the lizards I know about is called an iguana. And an iguana can grow pretty big and they usually live about 50 or 60 years, or at least they can. Now imagine, right, if, if it lives 60 years, it can grow over a meter long. Those, those things can get really big. Um, imagine if an iguana, If it keeps growing its entire life, what if it lived 500 years? What if it lived 800 years? You say, but Pastor, people and and animals don't live that long. Well, in the book of Genesis, chapter 5, before the flood, before Noah's flood happened, people did live 600, 700, 800, even more than 900 years. They would live sometimes that long. So I would understand that the animals also could live a lot longer. So this iguana that starts off this big, if it keeps growing and growing 800, 900 years, it can turn into an iguanasaurus. So when you think about where dinosaurs would have come from, God, I believe on day six, he made everything full, fully grown, right? Sometimes people ask which came first, the chicken or the egg, the chicken. The chicken came first he made things fully grown that could reproduce and create more of that particular animal so adam wasn't made as a baby he was made as a full-grown man so on day six i think god probably made a fully grown dinosaur but then when each of these kinds of dinosaurs would produce an offspring have a baby it could be very small and then grow and grow and grow So when Noah collected all the animals for the ark, he could have taken on a very small lizard and that would have preserved uh, where dinosaurs actually came from. We don't see dinosaurs walking around like people used to because the lizards simply don't live that long anymore. I'm gonna show you one other verse about this. It's in Job chapter 40. And this animal appears to be a description of a dinosaur. All right. Job 40 verse 15. Behold now behemoth. Now this is God speaking to uh, to Job. So this is God himself explaining this animal. Behold now behemoth. Now behemoth, that's a, that's a word that comes from the Hebrew language. And when the people translated the Bible into English, they didn't have a a word that perfectly described what this animal was. Nobody really knew what it was. So they just took the same, they spelled out the Hebrew word into English using the same kind of letters. So this behemoth, we only have its description. We're really not sure what animal this would equate to now. Behold now, behemoth, which I made thee, he eateth grass as an ox. So he he walks on all fours and eats grass. Lo now, his strength is in his loins, and his force is in the navel of his belly. So he's got a very strong belly. Verse 17, he moveth his tail like a cedar. Wow, he has a tail like a tree? A tail the size of a tree? I don't know any animals like that, but that does sound like a dinosaur. The sinews of his stones are wrapped together. It's like the muscles. They're wrapped together, so he's very strong as well. Verse 18, his bones are as strong pieces of brass. His bones are like bars of iron. So this is a very strong animal and very durable. Be very hard to break this animal. Verse 19, he is the chief of the ways of God. So of all the things that God created on the land, this animal is like top notch, ultimate. He is the chief of the ways of God. He that made him can make his sword to approach unto him. So a man can't go up to this animal with a sword and just kill it. But God, of course, has a way to put this animal down if he wants. Verse twenty: Surely the mountains bring him forth food, where all the beasts of the field play. So the this behemoth could eat from the mountains, from the trees on the mountains. Verse 21, he lieth under the shady trees and the covert of the reed and fens. That's where you'd find him. The shady trees cover him with their shadow. The willows of the brook can pass him about. So he would sit down and take up all the shade under a tree. Uh, Verse 23, behold, he drinketh up a river. It doesn't say he drinks from the river. He drinketh up a river and hasteth not. He doesn't even have to hurry. He just goes to the water of a river calmly and that sounds like a really big animal. I'm going to say that's like a dinosaur. He trusteth that he can draw Jordan into his mouth, which Jordan was a river in Israel. Then He taketh it with his eyes, his nose pierceth through snares. So if somebody tries to throw like a trap on him or a net, he can go straight through it. So I think that this is a description of a dinosaur. I think that's what God is trying to um, to explain to Job. He says, "Job, you think you're a, a big shot? Let me explain to you some of the animals that I created. Let me talk talk to you about Behemoth." And then he explains it. All right. So I hope that helps. I see Willem. I said thank you I'm glad that answers your question man it was a good question alright next question what kind of food did people eat in biblical times that is an excellent question let me see if I can give an excellent answer I'm gonna go back to Genesis 1 and I'm gonna start here in verse number 29 and God said behold I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree In the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. So in the beginning, it looks as if Adam and Eve were supposed to eat fruits and vegetables, things growing out of the ground and things growing off of trees. There's no mention of them eating animals, all right? Um, But by the time you get to Genesis 3, right, Adam and Eve sin, and then the first thing to physically die was an animal. God actually killed an animal so that he could use the skin to clothe Adam and Eve. Unto Adam also, in Genesis 3.21, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. So the coats of skins, you find out from reading other verses in the Bible that, that he's talking about animals there. Now, again, we don't read any about anybody eating meat until after Noah comes off the ark. Now, it could be, though, that after Adam and Eve sinned, people started eating meat. They saw that animals died and that their skins were useful. Maybe they also realized that halak and no braai. Maybe they they did that. But the the Bible just doesn't tell us what they ate precisely. Um, But by the time you get to Genesis 9, Noah comes out of the ark and God tells Noah this. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. So you can see it looks as if in the beginning, God said, eat fruits and vegetables. And now after the flood, God says, okay, just like before you could eat fruit and veg, now I'm adding to your diet. You can eat it from anything that moves on the ground. You can eat that. So then God says, it's okay. Yannicka no braai. And they were allowed to eat animals. Now, as you progress through the Bible, right, God gave the Jewish people a special diet. They now call it a kosher diet. And when you read Leviticus chapter 11, there's a a long list of animals that the Jews were not allowed to eat. Now, the rest of the world could eat them. Genesis 9, God told Noah, you can eat anything that moves. The Jews, though, had a special diet only because God wanted them to be different. He wanted his people, the Jews, to have every part of their life different than the rest of the world. That That's what we would call Gentiles. So in the Bible, in biblical times, they ate much like we would eat now, right? Because we eat things that grow from trees and come out of the ground and the things that move upon the ground, the animals. So that part really hasn't changed much. In modern times that we live, we have things that come from chemicals and you know, mixtures that come from a science lab. Of course, they didn't have that in biblical times. But the diet hasn't changed that much. I would say that we eat a lot more sugar now than they did in biblical times. I think that they ate a a much more healthy diet back in those times. Uh, Of course, you find there are some interesting things about the diet. Um, We actually know, we can narrow it down a little bit, what Jesus ate when he was a child uh, there's a prophecy about it. Let me see if I can find it. Yeah. Isaiah chapter seven and I think it's verse 22. Is that the verse I want? Well, it talks about them eating butter and honey. Oh boy. I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to find that verse really quick. So I think this is Amy who asked this question. So Amy, later on, you can you, you and I can look for this verse, but there's a verse that talks about the Messiah apparently being born and he will eat butter and honey. So it looks like when Jesus was a boy, he ate butter and honey. So sometimes you'll find some verses where it talks about people eating specific things, but for the most part, people ate pretty much what we eat now. All right, another good question. Here we go. I love eating sugar, (laughs) me too. The Bible says, hast thou found honey? Eat so much as is sufficient for thee. And then another verse in Proverbs says, don't eat too much honey, lest you be filled with it and vomit. So you can eat so much you throw up. So it's okay to eat sweet things, just don't eat too much. So I also like sweet things. All right, next thing. Why did the walls of Jericho fall after Israel walked around them seven times? This question came to me in Afrikaans. So if I have mistranslated it, please let me know if I'm not answering the correct question. But whoever did ask this, uh, make sure that I'm giving you the details you need. All right. Why did the walls of Jericho fall after Israel walked around it seven times? So I think everybody's familiar with this story, right? This comes from the book of Joshua. And God commanded the Israelites to march around the city seven days, Right? And then on the seventh day, they had to march around it seven times. And then the walls came a-tumbling down, as the song says. So why did that happen? Well, I'm not quite sure which part of this question you want me to answer, so I'm gonna quickly answer both. Why did the wall fall just because they walked around it? Well, a massive army stomping their feet at the same time would actually cause the ground to shake and then after they had marched around the city seven times, God commanded them, blow the horns. And when they all blow the horns, the ground has been shaking from them stomping their feet, and then they <laughs> blow the horns, and then they say amen. Whoa, they give a loud shout. And all that noise and vibrations, it could actually create a crack in the foundation of of the city and caused the walls to tumble. So that's how some people explain how the walls fell down. There's another explanation, and that is when the people obeyed God, rather than throwing things at the wall or pushing the wall or um, shooting things at the wall, they just obeyed God. And maybe God just reached down with his finger and went, "boom," and the walls came tumbling down. That's another thing that could have happened there have been people that have gone into the city of Jericho, and they have actually found these walls that have fallen. We call them archaeologists. They go into the deserts and into the biblical places, and they actually dig in the ground and find the stones, and they, they have found this whole thing. They said, it's true. This really did happen. The wall actually fell and allowed the Israelites, to come into the city of Jericho and, and overtake it. Now, that might be part of the question. The other, the other way that you might be asking this is, why did God say seven, right? Why didn't God say march around it three times and then let it fall? Why did God say seven? So the number seven is a very interesting number in the Bible. And, and I, hope, I don't know if you kids are interested in this, but a lot of the numbers... Especially Numbers 1 to 14, they, they have a special meaning in the Bible. They kind of go with things. Uh, so the number one usually goes with unity. The number two with division. The number three usually goes with God, right? Because God has, He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The number four goes with the earth the number five with death, the number six goes with man. This is actually mentioned in Revelation 13. And the number seven is the number for completion. It's the number of completion. So God, he created everything in six days and on the seventh day he rested. But after the seventh day, right? there are seven days in a week, then we start over. So seven is complete and then you start something new. So In Genesis chapter seven, the flood happened. And then in Genesis eight, Noah comes out to a new earth. Um, When you play on a piano, if you you look at the keys, you have the A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and then it starts over. When you get to that eighth key, it goes back to the key of A. So there's seven keys in a piano chord and then that's complete if you've ever looked at the rainbow there are seven colors in the rainbow can i do it like this instead seven. seven colors in the rainbow that's a complete rainbow uh, in the bible there are seven baptisms seven different baptisms there are seven judgments there are seven resurrections uh, the Jews were commanded to observe seven different feasts throughout the year. So the number 7 keeps popping up over and over in the Bible as something being done completely. So why did God say march around it seven times in instead of 3 or 4? Well, to be honest, I'm not exactly sure, right? God didn't tell us why he chose 7. But based on that information and how God uses the number seven in other places, I'm gonna say that God, once he told him to march around it seven times, then the job was complete and then the walls could come down. All right, so I hope that helps with the Jericho question. Next one. This is a tough one. Woo. Gotta get a sip of water before I get into this one. Um, you know what? I, I forgot something. Hang on kids, I gotta get something for this. Hey hon, I'll be right back, hold the phone. I need that dog. Dog. Okay, I'm getting a prop for this one. Don't worry, everything is under control. If God knew that people would choose to do bad things, why did he create us anyway? So I kind of switched it there. I was talking about people, and then I said us, but we're all people, so I threw us in with the people. Don't you love the people? All right, thank you. My beautiful wife has brought my dog. This will be important in just a moment, I promise. Until then, let me see if I can, where can I keep my dog? There, okay, you can, can you see the dog? Yeah, you can see the dog. All right, if God knew that we would choose to do bad things, And there would be problems in the world and COVID in the world and crime in the world. Why did he create us, right? God knows everything. He knows what we're going to to choose. He knows what people are going to do. So if he knew what we were going to do and he knew bad things would happen, why did God allow it to happen? Why create us? All right. That's a very good, very deep question. I'm going to try to answer it the best way I know how. Um, and I'm gonna use my dog. Now, would you like to have this dog? This is an awesome, this in, in America we call this a wiener dog, I don't know what you call it here. My wife got me this dog, I think, was it? I think it was my wife, I think. it Says I'm all yours, sounds like something my wife would buy me. Would you like to have this dog? I would, I like this dog, it's a cool dog. But here's the thing with this dog, even though it's a nice little dog, it's not a real dog. It cannot choose. It cannot choose to come over to me and sit on my lap. It cannot choose to walk over to me, sit at my feet and, and, you know, look up at me and wait for me to pet it. Whenever I pet it, it doesn't smile at me. It kind of smiles all the time. So this isn't a real dog. Why? Because it can't make choices. When God made man, He made us so that he could have a relationship with us, right? And in order to have a relationship with us, then he has to give us the ability to choose things. So if you like this dog, you say, I like that dog. I want that dog. Well, yes, and this dog will never give you trouble. It will never make a mess. It won't. It will never bite anything. It will never chew anything. It will never tip, you know, run into anything. It will never cause problems. It will just be there that's it. But it will never love you. It can't. It's not a real thing. Now, if you get a real puppy, would you like a real puppy? Moms and dads, I'm not trying to cause problems for you. I'm not saying, kids, that you can go get a puppy. But if you get a real puppy, oh, isn't that wonderful? Those puppies are awesome. They're so cute. You can hold them, pet them, and you know, they can sleep in, at the end of the bed by your feet, and it's just wonderful to get to play with a puppy. But Puppies make messes. Puppies chew things. Puppies pee in places they shouldn't pee. It. Puppies can be work. So sometimes mom and dad says, okay, I'll get you a puppy. But when it makes a mess or when it becomes a problem, you have to clean it up. So you become responsible for the decisions that the dog makes. Okay, Amy, I know you want a puppy. I love you, but no. So when God made man, did he know that man was going to make mistakes? Yes. But God then said, okay, even though I know that there's going to be mistakes, now, by the way, God knew what we would choose. We still choose it. God didn't make us do bad things. He knew that we would choose to do wrong because he's God and he knows everything. But even though he knew we would make mistakes. He said, that's part of having a real relationship. That's if I'm going to actually have people that love me, I have to allow them to choose between right and wrong. And the pleasure that God gets from people choosing to love him, that is so special to him that he is willing to take responsibility and put up with all the bad things. So when bad things happen, crime, COVID, corruption, all sorts of other words that start with C. God has promised to give us help. We call it chanada, grace, so that when we're going through those things, we don't get too discouraged. He helps us through it. And God, because he knew that we would make a mess, he said, okay, since I'm the one creating you, I will come down to the earth, and I will allow mankind to arrest me, nail me to a cross, and everybody's mistakes can be placed on me. I will pay for your sins. You made a mess, I'll clean it up. So God took responsibility for the people that he created. So if you want to get the puppy, you have to clean up after it. God, God he told himself, if I want to create man, then I'm going to have to clean up after him. And God did. God did. And the God of the Bible, the God of, of Christianity, is the only God that claims to do that. All the other religions don't have that. Look at this verse in Revelation 4, verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created right this puppy it gives me a little bit of pleasure i must admit but it doesn't love me it doesn't trust me it doesn't come when i call it 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 just sits wherever i put it i'm going to put it right it does not make me as happy as amy or megan or caleb right those are my children and when they choose to love me and be obedient that pleasure is worth all of the other choices they might make so i hope that answers the question that's an excellent question and that's actually one of the things i was talking about earlier i could go on for about 30 minutes talking about various things that are related to that question so whoever asked it if you'd like more explanation let me know i'll do my best i hope that explains why god did what he did why he created us even though he knew bad things would happen, the love that he could experience from mankind and the love that he could give to mankind, it was worth all the trouble, which is a tremendous thought. All right, next question. Have angels always been with Jesus? All right, wow, that makes a lot of sense. Awesome stuff. You can have a puppy. Sorry, Rochelle, yammer. Have angels always been with Jesus? That's our next question. Hang on, hang on.
1: Amen.
0: (laughs) I had to try it once this evening for the kids lesson. Amen, you can have a puppy.
1: Amen.
0: There you go. Have angels, sorry, have angels always been with Jesus? That is a solid question. Okay, let me show you a verse about this. This verse talks about Jesus creating everything. Now, there are lots of verses that say that, but this one says, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So when it talks about thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, those are big words that actually describe the angels up in heaven. That's the simple way to think about that. So Jesus created everything, everything you see in the earth, everything that you don't see that's up in heaven, God or Jesus, he created all of it. Now, have the angels always been with Jesus? Well, not always, right? Because the at, at a certain point, it was just God. And then God created So after God created the angels, then yes, the angels have been with Jesus since that time. Now, some angels chose to leave heaven. Can you believe that? That's incredible that they would actually decide to leave heaven, but they did. And we don't know how many of them did this, but you actually read about it in the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis chapter 6, matter of fact, I can show you that verse here. It says in verse 2 that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men, uh, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. So another, another name for angels is sons of God, because God is the one who created them. So these angels left heaven and came down to earth just so that they could get married. They gave up heaven. Now, they, were, they did something wrong there. They shouldn't have done that. They were disobedient. They were rebellious to God. And the Bible tells us that those angels are, they are kept in a place called the bottomless pit right now. They're chained up and God is going to judge them on the very last day when he judges all the wicked people that have ever existed. He is going to judge those angels as well and they are going to be punished. All right, so let me I'll show you where that's at in the Bible here in the book of Jude in verse uh, number six. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, their own home, he hath reserved an everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. All right, so yes, the angels are still with Jesus, they've always been with him, but some chose to leave. And those are the angels that are down there. Now, we read in the book of Revelation that in the future, even more angels are going to make this very bad decision. Actually, one third of all the angels in heaven are going to decide to follow the devil instead of Jesus. It's a horrible thing that's gonna happen, but Angels, just like men, they can choose whether or not they're going to listen to God. All right, I hope that answers the angel question. I think there's one more that has to do with angels, and that is, can angels die? Uh, it's a good question, really good question. And angels cannot die, right? The the way that we know, like people die. I just showed you that there were some angels in Genesis six that came down and got married. Now as they came down, they left behind their original condition up in heaven. So it looks as if those angels probably took on a human body and were able to experience human death. So those angels could have died a a physical death the way that we know it as human beings. However, angels, I just showed you the verse, you're looking at it there in Jude, they're reserved in chains in that bottomless pit. So they they are still present, they're still somewhere, they don't cease to exist. Um, the angels that are up in heaven, right, can they die? Like can they die because they get old? And no, the answer to that is no. They cannot die because they're old. They don't have a human body like we have, so they don't. their bodies don't wear out. They don't get sick and they don't die. So I hope that answers that question. All right, I see this question. Why did God create animals that can kill humans? Okay, Dion, that's a good question. You know what, let me, let me try to get through these questions that I have here and then remind me towards the end. If you see that I'm forgetting, remind me and I'll, I'll try to answer that, but that's a good question. Okay, and then another one. Why didn't Jesus ever get married? Good question, very good question. Okay, here's the answer to that. If you're not married, okay, you have more time to concentrate on, can I use a big word here? The ministry. You have more, and this is for Jesus, you have more time to concentrate on preaching to people and doing miracles and healing people because if you're married, you have to spend time with your wife and then with your kids, which is also good. There's nothing wrong with that. But Jesus had so much to do in such a short amount of time. He only preached for three and a half years before he went to the cross and laid down his life for us. So there were so many things he had to do, it wouldn't have been fair to his wife and his children because he never would have seen them. He never would have gotten to spend time with them. So I think that's the best answer as far as a practical reason why he never got uh, married. He wanted to be able to focus all of his time and attention on, on the father's business, that is preaching to the people and doing the miracles and so forth. So it says in in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32, but I would have you without carefulness. So I don't want you to be worried about this. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. So I show you those verses so that you see if you're married, then you have to do things to take care of your family. And that's not wrong, that's fine. If you're not married, you have more time to just do uh, things that help you in serving the Lord and serving others and that type of thing. So I think that's why Jesus did not get married. Plus, if you think about this, think about this. If Jesus had gotten married and had kids, he knew that he was going to die at a young age. He was only 33 years old when he died. Most of you, if you ask your mom and dad, ask your dad how old he is. He's probably older than 33, most of you. Jesus died when he was 33 years old. Do you know how sad his wife and kids would have been? Oh, that would have been so, so sad. And and that's probably another reason he didn't get married. He didn't want his wife to be that sad. But let me show you this. One day, Jesus is going to be married, one day. Revelation 19, verse seven, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. So this verse happens after the rapture. God takes all the believers, everybody that believes in Jesus, we get taken up to heaven and there's actually gonna be a ceremony, a a wedding up there. And all the believers are going to march down the aisle and there is going to be an official ceremony where we marry Jesus. This is what the Bible calls the church, the church which is his bride. We, he is the bridegroom and we are the bride. So one day Jesus is going to be married. Um, it's not the typical marriage that we know where it's just one man and one woman. This is Jesus marrying all the believers, but that, you also might think Jesus didn't get married while he was on the earth because he was saving himself for this marriage. Okay, I, I hope that helps. Again, there's a lot more we could say to that, but I hope that makes sense. All right, another question that has to do with heaven, while we're talking about heaven. Will I recognize my parents and friends in heaven? Whew, that's a good question. Okay, will I recognize them? Let me give you a verse. Let me give you a verse here. Make sure I got the right one. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12. Paul says, for now we see through a glass darkly. So when we look at future things, we can't see it all clearly because it hasn't happened yet. So it's like looking through a, a window, but the window, there's no light on in the other room. So you can't really see what's happening on the other side of the glass. He says, now we see through a glass darkly, but then face-to-face. So after Jesus comes, we will see him face-to-face. Now I know in part. I don't know everything. My knowledge is just partial. But then shall I know even as also I am known. So right now I, I only know in part, but then I'll have complete knowledge. If I'm understanding this right, we will have all knowledge when we get to heaven. So we according to that we should be able to know our parents and our friends i don't see any reason why we wouldn't be able to recognize them now another reason i think we'll recognize people is in luke chapter 16 in verse now this is kind of a strange place to turn for this but i think this will make sense uh there's two people in this story there's a rich man and there's a beggar named lazarus both of them die and Lazarus, the beggar, he's carried into Abraham's bosom. You can see there. And, and he's laying on Abraham's chest. That's what he's doing there. And the rich man died. He gets buried. But then he goes to hell. Verse 23. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus. So even after these people had died, right? Right? They're down actually in the center of the earth. Can you believe it? At this point, that's where hell is. And before Jesus died, paradise was down in the middle of the earth as well. But even after they had died, the rich man could still recognize Lazarus. He could recognize Abraham. And I think that helps us to know that even after this life is over, we still recognize who people are up in heaven or in even in this case even in hell you can still recognize who they are okay i hope that helps with that one next question why did jesus only start preaching after 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 (laughs) i missed that after after when do we do this after after what after after okay sorry for that let's pretend there's just one after why did jesus only start preaching after he was baptized and tempted in the desert. All right, so this um, Matthew chapter three and chapter four, you read about those two events. Why didn't he preach before that? All right, when he got baptized, John the Baptist, who was actually his cousin, when Jesus said, all right, John baptize me, John said, no, no, no. I should be the one being baptized by you. You're a better man than me. Jesus said, yeah, John, that might be the case, but do it anyway because I need to fulfill all righteousness. So that tells us something. Jesus knew that his ministry, his preaching was about to start, but when he got baptized, the Holy Spirit came down and that gave him that extra bit of power that he needed to preach and to do all the miracles that he needed to do. Now, I believe that even before that, Jesus could have performed miracles. He could have preached if he would have wanted to. But he specifically waited to start the public ministry, going out telling everybody, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, I'm the son of God. He didn't start saying those things until the Holy Spirit had come down and it gave him that power he needed. Now, right after he was baptized, he went into the desert, into the wilderness for 40 days, and then he was tempted of the devil. Why did he have to go through that? I believe that this was God's way, the Father's way of preparing Jesus for what he was going to face for the next three and a half years. Jesus had to go through a few difficult times so that he could be familiar with the challenges and the temptations that you and I deal with all the time. So the devil constantly is trying to get people to sin. So if Jesus is going to try to help those people, he needs to know how they feel. So then the father said, okay, Jesus, we'll, we'll let you experience some of that. And then you'll be able to help those people better because you'll know what it feels like to be tempted. But the wonderful thing is Jesus, every time he was tempted, he answered the devil by saying, the Bible says. The devil would say what about this he said no no it is written and then he would quote a bible verse so that teaches us that if we want to overcome the temptations of the devil we really need to know our bible and then we can say no no you're telling me to do something wrong but the bible says all right i hope that helps with that one next question more water and
1: amen
0: one more amen okay What was the form of the devil while roaming in the Garden of Eden before God cursed him and changed him into a serpent? Whew, you guys are asking some really good questions. I have people in Bible school that don't even ask such deep, interesting questions. This is really good stuff. Okay, the form of the devil. When the devil was originally created, he was not an angel. He was a cherub. He was a cherub. Okay, Let me show you this verse. I promise I'm going to show it to you in just a moment. Ah, Still didn't get it. One moment. Uno momento, por favor. Which is Spanish. I know Spanish. I only know those words in Spanish. Ezekiel 28, 13. Thou hast... Now he's talking to... The devil. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. And then he talks about all these precious stones. The sardis, topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the ox, the jasper, sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold. So the devil was dressed in that. He was covered in that. That's what he looked like. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. So inside, the devil had an entire orchestra inside of him. He had the woodwind section and the string section inside of him, which is incredible. He had to have been able to sing beautifully. Verse, 20, or verse 14, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. So before the devil fell, he actually, here, let me scoot down. He hovered above the throne of God. He kind of floated above the throne of God. And he was a very beautiful creature and he could sing very beautifully. Now, when he went into the garden of Eden, the devil looked around and found the most sneaky animal he could find, which was the serpent. Genesis three verse one. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, God made the serpent. And the serpent was very sneaky, but he was just an animal like any other animal. Then at some point, the devil comes down to the earth and he says, now, which animal can I use? I'm going to go into that animal and I am going to speak through that animal and talk to Eve. And that's as best I can understand, right? The Bible doesn't explain all of it, but as best I can understand, that's what happened. And... So here comes this beautiful creature and he uses, he goes into the, the body of this serpent and then the serpent begins to talk with Eve, which makes me think that before sin happened, maybe the animals could talk and that's why Eve didn't think it was so strange when the serpent began to speak, maybe, but watch this in your question, you've said God cursed him and changed him into a serpent. Well, I think the devil was borrowing the body of a serpent. The serpent went along with it from what we can see. But look at this. In, in Genesis 3 verse 14, and the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. So what happened is the serpent was actually walking around like a cow or a goat or something like that. It had four legs. But after this event in Genesis 3, God took its legs away, and now the snake, the basilele nafrikaans, the slung, it slithers through the field like this, and its mouth is down there by the dust. So God took its legs away so that everybody in the world would always be reminded of this animal, it's a very sneaky character, very subtle. So I I hope I hope that helps answer that question. That's another one of those questions we could talk about for quite some time. Alright, and this is the last one. Dion, remind me, I don't want to forget. Yours yours will be after this. We're almost done, guys. Is the tree In the book of Genesis, the same tree of life mentioned in the book of Revelation. Now, let me make sure I'm understanding this question correctly. It's a good question. I've actually, I've taught lessons about this before. So it's a good question. It is the same kind of tree. Now, let me make sure I'm answering it correctly. I think what you're asking is, is it the same kind of tree? And and yes, the, the tree of life, what it could do, let's say what it could have done in in Genesis, that is the same kind of thing that that the tree of life, a a different tree of life, but a tree of life in the book of Revelation, it will perform the same uh, service. It will do the same thing. It will offer life to anybody that eats from it. Now, is it the same exact tree? The one that God put in the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis, did he uproot it And is he saving it like somewhere up in heaven and then later on in Revelation, does he replant that same tree in eternity? I don't think it's the same exact tree, right? But it is the same kind of tree. It is a tree that offers life. So I hope that's what you wanted to know. Uh, That's a good question. All right, now, I don't have a slide for this one, but let me see if I can help Dion with his question. Pastor Mike. Why did God create animals that can kill humans? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> you know what? Dion, let me let me point out that when God created the animals, none of them were supposed to kill humans. None of them. None of them. Um, it was only after sin entered into the world that some animals then began to turn on mankind. And generally, right, generally, animals will not attack people. Generally. Not always, right? Sometimes bad things do happen like that. But watch what God told Noah after the flood. Genesis 9, verse 2. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth, upon all the fishes of the sea, into your hand are they delivered. So all of the animals know deep down that mankind is, we're we're supposed to rule over them. They know that. This is why, and God set this up in a special way. This is actually mentioned in the book of Psalms. And you have to forgive me, the verse is slipping my mind right now. But it's in the book of Psalms that when we get up to go to work and we work through the day, the animals go into their caves and dens and holes and they sleep and then when we go to bed the animals come out and they roam around at night so even now god has it set up so we so that we should never be in a situation where an animal is attacking us most of the time when an animal attacks a human it's because the human was attacking it first but i will say that sometimes you do find an animal that just is is not acting right and something bad happens and a human being gets hurt that is because when sin entered into the world the rest of the creatures something bad happened to them as well just like we saw with the serpent right those the animals of the world are under a curse just like mankind is under a curse because of sin So it says in Romans 8, verse 20, the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So right now all the animals are under a curse, just like we are, but one day God is going to lift that curse. Now, Dion, watch this, this is cool. In Isaiah chapter 11, this is what's going to happen after Jesus comes back and all of the believers in Jesus, we get to be with him in his kingdom on this earth. This is what happens. Look at Isaiah 11 verse 6. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, a wolf and a lamb. They, They can be in the same room. Right now today, a wolf would eat a lamb. But when Jesus comes back, the wolf will no longer attack the lamb. It says, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid. Now, kid, not like you're a kid, but a kid in the Bible, that's a baby goat. So sorry, kids, you're baby goats. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. See, Now today, a leopard would attack a goat, but not when Jesus comes. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. So a baby cow and a a lion can be in the same room and they'll be fine. And watch this, a little child shall lead them. So Dion, in the kingdom, when Jesus comes back, you can have a pet lion and it won't hurt you. It won't hurt you because by this time, the curse will be lifted. The bondage of corruption is over everything's good. Verse 7, and the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. So the lion won't be eating meat anymore, it'll be eating grass. Verse 8, and the sucking child, a little baby, shall play on the hole of the asp. That's a very poisonous snake. And the weaned child, it's like a three-year-old, shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. A cockatrice is a very poisonous uh, snake as well. So even though a, a, a little kid can put his hand on the, on the hole where a snake lives, the snake won't bite it. The animals will no longer hurt human beings. The curse will be over. So God, when he created everything, it was meant to be so that the animals and human beings could live together in perfect peace and harmony. And because Jesus did what he did on the cross, it is now possible that one day that will happen. So. Dion, I hope that helps. Let me know if that's what you wanted to know. I see Adrian chiming in here. "Hello brother from America. Great to see. you. Let's see. This is spectacular. Love seeing the kids' questions. Yeah the Parslim Kinder's dar. Yo, Look at Adrian. Hey, brought no moy Afrikaans were. If I lived in South Africa, Bible Baptist in Poch would be my church. Adrian, are you saying that you would take it over and I would no longer be the pastor? Come on man. Come on, man. I'm trying. I'm doing the best I can. Kids, I hope you've enjoyed this tonight. I have thoroughly enjoyed I Will Want a Pet Lion. (laughs) You know what? Me too. I, I won't need my little stuffed dog anymore. I can have all the pets I want. All of you kids can have all the pets and puppies that you want when Jesus comes back. So kids, I hope this has helped tonight. Let me remind you, take some time. Maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow, moms and dads help them. 50 ways to please your mother. Think of some things that you could do to please your mother. All right, one more thing has come in. What happened to the tree of life? Okay, let's answer that real quick. What happened to the tree of life? I meant to type in 22, not two. Okay, so verse 23. Let's look at that one, verse 23. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden, this is Adam, to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man. And he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims. Cherubims are even bigger and stronger than angels. Okay, Cherubims are very special creatures up in heaven. He placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the Tree of Life. So there was a path that led to the Tree of Life. And God put this flaming sword. It was turning all every which direction, up, down, side to side, spinning around. And it, that way, any, anybody that would come down that path would know you can't go there. So, Rochelle, to answer the question, I don't know if this is Rochelle answering, asking or one of, one of the kids there. But uh, I don't know what happened to the tree of life. I don't. I don't know how long that flaming sword stayed there. I don't know how long those cherubims stayed there. Maybe they stood guard, you know, God posted them there until the tree of life uh, died out. But that, that seems unlikely because it is the tree of life, right? So I, I don't see how it would have just died out. Um, it may have stayed that way until the flood, right? And then in the time of Noah's flood, it was gone. After the flood, then uh, things, obviously, that's how we know them now and things would look different. But the Bible does not tell us whatever happened to that tree of life. So it's a good question. I'm afraid I don't have a good answer for that. What I do know is that after Jesus comes, there are going to be special trees in that kingdom time. And then after the kingdom time is done, heaven and earth is going to pass away. A new heaven and a new earth are going to come. And on that new earth, there is going to be a, uh, many trees of life not just one but several of them and people will be able to eat from it so i know that the tree of life does come back in the book of revelation okay you kids have impressed me these were outstanding questions i am so proud of all of you very very well done Um, nothing else is coming in i'm gonna pray and and that way we can be finished if i see another question pop up just after i pray i'll try to answer it before we close out. But thank you so much, moms and dads, boys and girls. Thank you for taking time with me tonight. I've really enjoyed this. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the Bible that gives us all the answers we need. Lord, all of these questions tonight, what great questions coming from young, hungry hearts and minds. Lord, please help these kids to see that the Bible does have the answers they need. And just like we sang at the beginning, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. So God, thank you for the love of Jesus and thank you for telling us about it in the Bible. I pray you'd have your hand upon each family, all the kids. Please, God, bring us closer together to one another and with you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you, Pastor. When can we do this again? We will do this again soon. I don't know what day. Maybe we can do this next week or maybe the week after, but we'll do it again very soon because I've really enjoyed this. So kids, get some more questions ready. Yeah, Get them ready. You can start sending them to me because we will do this again. You got this. You got this. You got this. Okay, I'm not sure what that means. Bye. All right, guys, have a good night.